Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. Dustin DePurak of the Star who joins us. Busy day for you, I'm assuming, right? Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, it went, it went really quiet for a while, and I thought maybe that was all it was going to be, uh, was just Buddy getting moved. But obviously, it's been a flurry, uh, at least a couple of those deals that them getting McDermott uh, and Joseph in really the last, I don't know, what, 10 or 15 minutes uh, right before deadline, probably 10. Uh, so, yeah, and it ended up getting a, a little busy. It only gets busier tonight because obviously game plus Trace Jackson Davis is in town. So it's going to be, it's, it's, yeah, all day deal today. I know a lot of hosts would say, well, if you were listening earlier, I'm not going to frame it up like that because if you say no, I'll get pissy. So I said (laughs) this earlier, Dustin. I said I have a variety of arguments that will beat me down for trading Buddy Heald in the fashion in which they did today. You know, from thinking about the future, certainly an extension that's going to be coming up with Siakam um, to making sure you get something And I make fun of draft capital all the time. I realize that it's played a role, certainly in that Siakam deal. It has. Um, I'm not minimizing that whatsoever. But I stated my case, this is what you do miss. And I I do have a concern that this offense, with moving him out of there, even if he's going through a slump right now, I think you have to hit your marks offensively. I just don't think you're ever going to raise the game defensively enough not to have a certain amount of offensive output night in and night out. That's one thing I look at. I didn't even bring up his relationship with Halliburton, which I probably should. I just think even going through a slump, Buddy Heald, and even being benched, Buddy Heald was a lot more valuable on the floor in terms of what this team did offensively as somebody you had to tag, you had to take, keep track of, you had to prepare for. I think that value is something that is going to be lost in this deal, and I don't know where you're going to make that up. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will easily be made up, but that's the thing that discourages me out of this. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I mean, I think obviously getting McDermott helps a little uh, of that, but it was just interesting to kind of look at the numbers. Uh, you know, obviously we spent all this season talking about, oh, Buddy's in the slump, Buddy's in the slump. I mean, Buddy's still 14th. Uh, in total three-pointers made. Um, you know, I mean, 38.4 is not a great number, and he's obviously had some particularly rough nights. Um, but 38.4 is not terrible, um, especially for somebody who's as high volume as Buddy is. Uh, and the gravity is very real. I mean, you can still watch, you know, games in, in certain circumstances, especially, you know, when, when he's on the floor with Halliburton, where, where Halliburton is getting a clean lane because Buddy, he'll, the guy's not leaving him. Uh, you know, if they're kind of, you know, facing a set defense, they're running, you know, high pick and roll with, with Turner um, and, you know, Turner and, and and Halliburton are coming down the lane. Buddy Hill's not guys not going in there to clock things up and add another body in there. Um, Buddy Hill's guys sticking with him, and even though Buddy's not making, he's not making you pay as many times as he has in the past for leaving him open. Um, they're still not doing it. They're still not giving that away. They're still not presuming uh, that they can leave him and get away with it. So the gravity is very real, and, and I think again you sort of miss just how prolific this guy is. Uh, I mean, we're talking about somebody who's top twenty-five all time and makes. Um, 
you know, again, got all kinds of flaws, obviously not the greatest defender, you know, only gives you so much, you know, offensively outside of the three-point shooting. But, I mean, you know, the three-point numbers are really real. And, like, McDermott's shooting a high percentage, but, like, Buddy's made twice as many this year, you know, and, and, and for his career, as much as you think of McDermott as a pretty, you know, uh, accurate three-point shooting guy, Buddy's made double what McDermott has in his career, like right around double. Uh, and they're about the same age. So, you know, that gives you a sense of what we're talking about in terms of difference there uh, in volume. And, and again, gravity matters. And I mean, Buddy, you know, like the, the fact that like Buddy can run all day, man. I mean, like, you know, they're, again, there are better defenders and there, there are things, ways in which that endurance doesn't pay off the way it should. But Buddy can run around all day and get open. Like he has just the amount of energy he has is just unmatched. You know, he, he has absurd amount of, you know, endurance and everything. So it's going to cost you. I mean, there is, there is something that's being lost here. And like, like you said, I understand, you know, the uh, expiring contract piece of it. I mean, and frankly, I thought for the weeks leading up and before the Siakam deal, it's like, okay, well, you have to include buddy. If you're going to make a big deal, if you're going to go after Siakam, you know, you're probably going to have to move him. And so like, he's got to be a part of something. And the fact that he wasn't a part of that deal and you still had him, um, you know, that made this, this a, a little bit of a surprise. Again, you, you end up kind of scrambling to pick things up. But I think they, they got two second-round picks in the 76ers deal and ended up moving two of them. Uh, you know, the, the other guys that they got are on expiring. Everybody they have is on expiring contracts. Everybody they got, you know, McDermott, Cork uh, uh, and, and, you know, Joseph are all at the end of their contracts. So you might end up letting all three of them walk. And what you end up out of that is, I think, a one, you know, second-round pick. And that's what you're actually <laughs> left with out of this. You ended up with a lot of, you know, you're going to have cap room to move on and everything like that. Maybe you want to re-sign one of those guys and you can do it for cheaper than you would with Buddy. Um but, you know, there's a good chance that you just straight lose, uh, you know, something significant in this deal, and, and that's what you end up with. You know, again, I get the idea once you've already moved a first-round pick, you know, you might want just something to make sure you're, you're keeping some youth rolling through there. But, I mean, you're having a hard time playing the rookies that you have, um, including your lottery pick. So, you know, I just I, – I, I get – at least, at least where it came from. But I mean, I, I think, I mean, it was just funny to me that Halliburton and, and McConnell the last two days were making this case and, and really kind of relishing the opportunity to tell us how good Buddy Heald is and how much he matters. And then, you know, their franchise makes this deal today. Uh, I thought that was, that, that was very interesting and telling, I think, how, how much he still mattered in that locker room, not just to Tyrese, as close as they are, but to the whole team. Said Dustin Purak of the stars of the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, you have just unearthed a, I mean, a ton of stuff for me to get to with what you just said. <laughs> One occurred to me a little bit earlier. Um, do you think that there may have been a situation to where they weren't going to move him, and then because of what happened to Embiid, and because of the disastrous offensive mess at times Philly has looked like since that that popped up and they went for that, or do you think that this thing has been in the works the entire time? And as you mentioned, that's why Tyrese Halliburton, that's why T.J. McConnell kind of came to his defense and said he's a valued member of this team both on and off the court. And, you know, paraphrasing here, we need him here. How do you think that situation with Philly went down, and, and how do you think that happened in the past couple of days especially? I mean, I'm sure that Philly was more motivated. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You started to see this pick up, uh, you know, over really the last three days. It's sort of breaking through on the, you know, the guys that, that are sort of really more connected when it comes to these rumors. You know, you started to see them surface really the last week, um, you know, since Embiid was hurt. And so you say, okay, like there's got to be something and somebody that opens the world up for Tyrese Maxey because if he has to take all of this on himself, as young of a player as he is, his life gets a whole lot harder than it was. 
um, you know, even just a few days ago. And so um, that's, I think, significant here. Okay. I just found found out we're getting Chad Buchanan today and it's post game. Um, So that changes my my schedule a little bit. Yeah. So that just came through. Um, Okay. So after the game, you're getting Buchanan? After the game, we're well, getting Buchanan. So hey, let's just, both text him right. Let's both text him right now and say, uh, "No, you get your ass on here right now." <laughs> well, we do that. I'm gonna have to hustle. <laughs> I'm gonna have to have to go if he's doing a pregame. But no, um, uh, shoot, where was I? What was the question again? <laughs> I just changed my mind. I, oh, well, oh, no, no, no. I was gonna, I was gonna ask yeah, if, no, if maybe, maybe they had felt that they were okay mm-hmm. and not moving away. From Buddy, and, and you know, even if you're going to lose what you're going to lose, because essentially right now, as you mentioned, you know, it's Buddy healed for a second rounder. That That's what it is. So if they're okay with staying with him and then losing him as they would um, and having him a part of this team right now, or if maybe that changed um, with with Philadelphia's situation needing more offense and, and that offer, do you think any of that changed with Philadelphia's situation at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Philly, like, obviously, Philly was more motivated. You know, again, as, as I, I didn't say that already. Just, they were more motivated because they had to get somebody, uh, you know, if they were losing Maxi Or not losing Maxi. they're going to be without Embiid for a while. If they, they need something uh, to create some gravity that takes things away from, from, from Ty, you know, Tyrese Maxey to make his life a little, little bit easier. And so I get, I, I guess in that case, what kind of surprises me is, like, that's all you guys could get when they're desperate. You know, and, and like, I don't think there's any obvious, I don't think you look at that roster and say, okay, well, they should have gotten this or they should have gotten that, um, you know, because, again, so much of their talent is tied up in those two guys. I mean, I don't know if, you know, I mean, you do still have, like, uh, yeah, you know, Melton and those guys. I'm not even sure what everybody's situation is because I know Melton was out the last time. Um, you just think you could have gotten a better bit piece, you know, or, or something more than what they got. The second-round picks obviously are helpful and everything, um, but I don't know. You, you would have thought you could have put the screws to them a little bit if they they were in a desperate situation of really needing to get some offense talent. And again, this is a team that's right above you in the standings. Like Philly's falling because they've been without Embiid, um, and you know they're you know right above you. So I, mean, I would I would have set a high bar there to say like you need this guy, okay? You know, like what do you give me? I'm not giving him to you for free. Um, at least that that had been my approach. I, again, I get the idea of feeling like you've got to get rid of this thing because otherwise you're getting nothing for it. But you know, even if you kept him till the end, you get however many three-pointers he's going to hit from you between now and April, and that might matter, you know. Uh, and so, like, even if you get nothing after this season, even if you just keep him all the way through, you know, I just kind of feel like there could be a playoff scenario where you find yourself in a position to say, man, I wish I had Buddy Hill to take this shot, you know. Uh, and so to be interested to see how that goes, you know, long-term. But I imagine, I'm sure that's why Philly was more motivated because they're, they're without him beat. Uh, certainly, I mean, obviously we asked – question i know james boyd was you know asked the question of tyrese about buddy um and you know tyrese wasn't necessarily angling for it but when when james asked he's like you know i'm really glad you asked that question because i I think he just it it served as and gave him an opportunity to do it uh you know tj the same but i mean i was struck by the passion and they didn't bring it to us to be like hey we want to use you guys to make a case for buddy uh but when they were asked questions it was just like let me tell you everything you guys need to know about this because i think they certainly at least have a sense among the fan base that sometimes you know he gets uh you know a a, a certain amount of grief when he misses shots and they want to be like look like yeah he misses he's missing more shots now than he used to but you got to realize how important he still is you know how much how the value of gravity like you you know if you're not on the floor and you're not seeing how the pieces move you might not realize how much it still matters that that even if buddy missed his last five he's hit 1800 in his career and guess what that means you got to defend him and you know you're you you can't help off me if i'm going to the lane um so i think that was part of it i mean they probably had some sense um you know i know tyrese 
is particularly the type of guy who you know keeps tabs on the rumors and everything like that. So I imagine he had some underlying idea that something could happen, and you know probably wanted to get uh, make as you know it, when given the opportunity. I don't think he was going to force it in and, and make it obvious, but uh, you know when given the opportunity, he jumped on it. So uh, Dustin DePierak of the Star covers the Pacers. Pacers Golden State, by the way, later on tonight. We'll get to a little bit of that in a second. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right. So in addressing the longer-term future, I mean, in, in various facets of the longer-term future, that the Pacers make themselves worse today with these barrage of deals. Not dramatically, but I think they did. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I think you know, it's certainly possible that maybe they try to keep McDermott for next year, and, and maybe that's when they feel like is a better option and a cheaper, you know, cost-effective option. They could keep a shooter like that, and they would not be able to keep Heald because you know Heald would cost you if you were going to give him a raise, you're going to have to pay him more than twenty million, and that ends up taking away from. You know, or not taking away. I mean, you're just operating tighter for what Halliburton and uh, you know Siakam are going to. Obviously, Halliburton's going to have his kick in, and then you know you're obviously going to have uh, you know if you're going to try to keep you're going to try to keep Siakam, so you're probably going to have to pay him somewhere in the 37 million dollar range, what he's making right now. Um, so maybe you look think, okay, I can take I, this gets me McDermott back. Maybe I have a chance of re-signing him, where I don't feel like I've got a real chance of re-signing Heald. So maybe you don't end up that much worse. But, you know, again, I think you're just losing a really prolific guy that can still do it. You know, that, that's, you know, again, maybe maybe he's not going to have another year like he had last year when he hits 288 threes at a 42.5% clip, which is crazy. Um, uh, you know, maybe you're not getting that, but I mean, I think you just, you, you have lost somebody that has a chance of really going off from time to time. And, you know, that just can be a weapon and it matters to, you know, what is, you know, statistically the best offense in the NBA. Um, so, I, you know, will they be as good as far as putting the ball in the bucket without him? You know, I kind of think they won't be. And um, I don't know if the other pieces that they got make up for what all you're going to lose there. And I don't know what you get in the future necessarily makes that up. Maybe a couple of years from now, you know, they get a, we find out that the 36th or 7th or 38th pick or whatever they're going to get, uh, you know, in the second round is going to make a difference. But I'd be, I'd be surprised, uh, you know, if, if that ends up being more than what you would get out of another couple months of Buddy Heald. It's uh, Dustin DePurak of the Star. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How do you think you mentioned earlier both Halliburton and McConnell uh, speaking out about Buddy and his importance to this team? How do you think Halliburton, for example, felt about this or feels about this right now? You know, it's a great question. I mean, I think obviously Tyrese understands that this is a business, um, you know, at the end of the day. And and it's not the first time that he's had a friend traded. Um, you know, like, I mean, they were like him and O'Shea Brissett are really tight. You know, those guys are really close. And, you know, it's not like I, – obviously we talked this up and certainly we, we've seen those two. They've got their just, you know, just funny odd couple, uh, you know, thing together and they played together in Sacramento. So they've been together this long. Um, you know, but Buddy – but Tyrese obviously has a sense of – I mean, he is, you know, basically constantly being talked with, um, you know, by the front office, by the coaching staff, you know, that kind of thing. And, and certainly if they were to say, look, like this is why we think we have to do this, you know, like you might not agree with it, but at the end of the day, you, you, you got to roll with it. Um, and so I'm sure Tyrese would kind of have an understanding of what, uh, of why and how and everything. And he'll be, you know, he's not going to like, you know, openly rebel or anything like that. But I mean, I imagine he made, you know, the most passionate case he could to keep him, you know, certainly did understand though that, you know, I, I imagine they had enough 
conversations over the summer when it came to contracts and everything. And he probably had a sense that, you, you know, he couldn't tell them, yeah, buddy, we'll sign for this. And if you, you know, you can get him for 15 million or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, he obviously has an understanding that it's probably better for buddy too. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, for as much as it's a, it's a rough loss for them and buddy, he was going to be, uh, put into a circumstance where he's probably going to be, you know, get a lot of opportunity on a team that's probably still going to be a playoff team. So he'll probably finally get, uh, you know, break in there for the first time. Like it's not a bad deal for Buddy, and I think Halliburton has a good sense of that. But he's going to miss him. I mean, I think, and and I think you've just generally seen that he has more space to operate when Buddy's on the floor. Uh, you know, he's just a more effective offensive player. Again, having Siakam helps. Having a guy out there, he certainly Siakam has his own gravity, um, and that changes things around um, as well. And so certainly it's probably going to lead long-term to fewer shots for Buddy, but um, that is, I, I think it is still a loss. And I think, I mean, at the end of the day, is he happy about it? I'm sure he isn't, you know, but is he going to be a professional about it? And has he probably already been a professional about it in talks with the front office? You know, I would presume yes. So Dustin DePurek is with us. Now, a lot of people, and I'm sure you've heard this too, will say, hey, this was a good deal because now it opens up more minutes for Matherin, or you need to open up more minutes for Walker. Two things I have. I think that the coach will realize when when Matherin needs to be played and he will get more minutes when that dictates that level of play. And I don't think it matters if Buddy is here or not. And so many people out there think it's so important to see Walker. I don't. I think if he's good enough, to be a part of the rotation, hell yeah. But if he isn't, then that's okay too. These are two things. You agree with both of these fan thoughts as far as starting with that playing time that, that people suggest Buddy was taken away from Matherin? I just thought that Rick would go with the best guy anyway, so how does that matter? Yeah, no, I mean, and not only that, Rick doesn't have a problem playing them together. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, now it's, it's a very interesting time to talk about, okay, well, who's taking away from who? Because Rick is very really since you know Carlisle got a hold of you know Pascal Siakam, there's he's done a lot of really experimentation and saying like okay like I can put together combinations like Siakam just allows you to put together combinations that you couldn't otherwise because I mean like he's he's a six eight power forward but like you know, he can bring the ball up. He, I mean, like he can be your primary guy. He can function as a point guard. He can be your three. He can be your four. He could be your five. You know, like it allows you to kind of move so many other pieces around because he gives you so many things. And it was just like, okay, you know, you can kind of restart and reconsider where everybody fits here. You know, I mean, like Jairus Walker, you know, got some minutes at the three uh, because of that. Obviously, he was drafted as a power forward, and that seemed to be the sense where everything was going. But it was like, you know, you can play Walker at the three because he can handle too. Like he can, and he can, you know, play above the break you know, bring the ball up. He's got some point guard, you know, background, having played a little bit of it in high school back at IMG. And you're like, okay, well, maybe you can get him on the floor this way and you can make get that guy on the floor that way. Um, and so he's played around with combinations. And, like, I mean, I'm sure it, it, in some way in the aggregate that there are, you know, because Buddy Heald gets minutes, that means Benedict Mather and gets fewer minutes. But it's not like you can't play them together. It's not like they can't be on the floor at the same time and they're entirely too redundant. You know, you can have two wings like that on the floor at the same time. Um, you know, I, I think – you know, and Walker in particular, I mean, I, I think they certainly do need to give him a chance. You know, they, they certainly you know need to, you know, long-term sort of figure out, okay, like you, you did use a top 10 pick on this guy and there's a lot of things they like. And they obviously decided, I mean, it seemed like there was, you know, some reporting out there saying that like the Raptors wanted Jairus Walker in the Siakam deal and the Pacers weren't willing to give him up. So there's certainly stuff they like about him. Um, and, you know, it, it, 
like he there has to be you know on floor basketball playing time for him maybe if it's not this year you know next year like there's got to be a plan for him to be a part of it and Rick Carlisle so much has said that um but I don't know that again the, the next couple of months of field even if you if, if you were going to lose him um I don't think that I mean you still got to be looking at this team and saying this team's got to win enough to get in the playoffs you know this isn't about uh you know the development matters for this group it's 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 not it's a non-zero factor um but it's less important than winning and that's the point that the point he's been trying to make is like you got to earn your way on the floor um so you can't be looking at this and thinking well this guy still produces too much for you to get you minutes for your rookie it's like now you're you, you if you want to be a playoff team and there are big games you have to win and you know there are big shots that you're going to need um then you can't get away give away the guy that can hit those you know on the on the chance that it gives you a better opportunity for your rookie to grow like you have to presume you're, you're you know you're, you're trying to get growth out of a playoff experience you know with this group and so i i don't that that doesn't move the needle much for me i i do think the the underlying message of you know you have to move walker along somehow is important but that's i think why they have and it's obviously been important that he's been amenable to this you know but got him so many g league minutes is just to make sure he's getting basketball time uh, even if it's not in the pace of uniform dustin depurak of the star um i don't know if you want to offer this up but it just kind of sounds like you agree with me regarding healed and this trade do you as far as yeah, not the yeah, biggest big, fan big, in the big, world yeah. with it like big me picture, yeah yeah i mean big yeah. picture yeah i mean i think it just uh, you know like I, I i know what you're moving in and i know what you're moving out you know but at, at yeah. the end of the day i just kind of think that you know i i just think he had you know i was thinking going in you know, you, you better get something here because there's real value. You know, if you're going to move him and you feel like, okay, you know, um, that, you know, that, that, that you're not going to be able to re-sign him. If you're, even if you make the decision, there's got to be something you can point to and say, this is how you're better. You know, this is how you're a better team. And I just don't think there's enough there. I, I, I think, the, again, the, the moves they made at the end of the day, you know, made them not as much worse. Um, as they were in the initial moments after they made the deal, or the, the hours after they made the deal. So, again, I think they're better. Once they made the first deal, they're better having Doug McDermott, better off going to get Doug McDermott than if they had not. I mean, I think that gets them closer to being on a level today. Um, so that is important. So I guess I'll give credit for that. And it's certainly better at the end of the day for having got Pascal Siakam. I mean, the, the overall balance of the trade deadline is they're a better team than they were you know, before they made that deal still. Um, but, it, but just focusing on today, I just, I, I don't think they're better off without Buddy Hield. Hey, uh, Dustin, when you get a moment, look this up and maybe I'm just completely wrong, but it always felt to me like Doug McDermott struggled shooting in the field house. It always seemed up. like that to me. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Look, look that up. And then mm-hmm. and send me an X or something, a message about that, and let me know. Because it always kind sure. of felt – anybody else out there feel the same as I – it just always felt like that he struggled shooting in the field house. I could be completely wrong by that. But that's, that's how I remember it. So there should be some home – uh, Yeah, there should be some home stats from the three years he was in it with the Pacers. So I'll check those out. All right. And uh, we're expecting Steph Curry tonight, right? As far as I know, I haven't heard anything to the contrary. And uh, Trace Jackson Davis didn't didn't get much last night. He's been 
pretty far out of the rotation. So I don't know what we expect because that's going to be like half of Johnson County is going to be locked in there coming up tonight. So <laughs> I imagine it will. Yeah, no, I presume so. Just, but uh, you know, the Dray- Draymond coming back makes it tougher, but he obviously made the most of those minutes when he had the opportunity. So you have to think he's put himself in good position long-term, uh, you know, yeah. with them in terms of what he was able to do in, in that scenario. And not only, you know, certainly for them, but also if, if anybody else in the, in the, you know, mid to near, you know, distant future, uh, is going to, you know, certainly see what he was able to, to produce in those minutes and, and certainly show that he belongs in the league. Pleasure, man, as always. I appreciate you hopping on here with all the information, Dustin. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tonight could be a big night. Reggie Wayne, Dwight Freeney, NFL honors. They will announce officially those going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And obviously, a big role in that is our next guest from CBS 4 and Fox 59, Mike Chappell, is with us. All right. I think you've known for a while, and good on you. You do not at all want to damage your reputation, and you want to maintain that voting opportunity you haven't told us. What time will we find out officially this evening, Mike? Probably around 10 or 10.15, roughly. I've always been PO'd the way they do it. It's part of that NFL honors with, you know, MVP and offensive player and all that, coach of the year. I've always thought that, you know, we're the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Put us at the start. We're crying out loud. It's, we're, we're kind of like eighth in line, which is BS. You know, it's way above my pay grade, but I thought they should lead off the darn show with the Hall of Fame because this is a forever thing, and I realize I'm not unbiased on that. But, yeah, it'll be about 10, 10, 10 15. So Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59 is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, is there anything you can add or share at all without giving up what is going to be the final answer, at least for this year? Uh, first of all, I'll do my best not to lie to you. Okay. Uh, okay. So if I start, if I start sounding like a politician or a head coach, just smack me. I, I, I can't get specifics. I would say it'd be worth tuning in, you know, stay up and, and tune in. I think there, there'll be some interest. Let, let, me, let me put it that way. Well, heck. Some interest tonight from Mike Chapel. Speaking maybe, of interest, maybe, that gets maybe, maybe you've got to prop tip. that on MVP or Offensive Player of the Year or something. So maybe that's why you should say it. I think it'd be worth your while to stick with it for a while. Um, your argument has been for both. Maybe beyond what people really understand. Obviously, we live through it. We believe why both should be valued in that capacity inside the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But what has been your argument for both Reggie and Dwight Freeney regarding this? Well, with Reggie, it's been five years. He's been a finalist all five years of eligibility. It's just that he's the, – the overriding stat about Reggie Wayne is there are only two players in NFL history that rank top ten catches, receptions, regular season, and postseason. It's Reggie Wayne and Jerry Rice. I mean, that's a body of work. That's not like he had three great years. It's like 
that that's a a body of work that stands the test of time. Uh, and we we put we we meaning the selectors put so much emphasis on playoffs. That's why Terrell Davis, by and large, is in the Hall of Fame. He had a very short career because of injuries, but boy, in the playoffs, he was really really good, and was the main reason that Denver has two Super Bowls. But you're supposed it's it's supposed to be judged on length of career, productivity, availability. And Reggie checks all the boxes. Uh, won one Super Bowl, uh, went to two. So that's kind. Of, and he he's in a group with Tory Holt and Andre Johnson, to where all three are very very similar as far as their resumes. You know, six or seven Pro Bowls, three or four All Pros. Uh, one of you know Reggie and. And Andre Johnson averaged 12.4 yards a catch, and Holt was 13-2 or 13-3, whatever. And whenever we've had that position before, it's where there's really no, no, no nothing dif- differentiating between these guys. Now, a couple of years ago, Calvin Johnson was first-time eligible, and he jumped the line because, you know, he's Calvin Johnson. But generally, when you have guys at receiver – who are similar, you go by who's waited the longest. Tory Holtz waited like 10 years, Reggie five, and Andre Johnson three. So that's that's kind of been my sticking point. With Freeney, I, I, I'm telling you, and, and I'm not name-dropping, but to be in the room of the Hall of there's – there's 50 of us uh, selectors, and to, be, to hear people talk about Dwight Freeney his his reputation nationally is more is is better than it is in Indy, and it's pretty darn big in Indy. So you know he's he's only got 125 sacks. That's like 18th on the list. But his his profile nationally is much stronger. So you know both will eventually get in. Uh, I, I, I truly believe that with Reggie, he's getting tired of hearing, well, if not this year, next year, if not next year, the next year. Edger and James went through this. It, it took Edger in six years to get in. So I am confident beyond any confidence that Reggie and Freedy both will get in. The question is when. And then next year, and, and next year Adam Vinatieri is eligible. Uh, first year guy, and to me, he's a guy. He, he's a no doubt first battle Hall of Famer. Uh, so it's just, it's just hard to tell a guy to wait. I think John Lynch, you know, the, the 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 great safety and GM of the Niners, he waited seven or eight years. So, and once you get in, you're in, and you really you're in. But boy, to make a guy wait year after year after year, it, it's painful. It's frustrating for the player and his family. So all I can say is from knowing how the process works, and yes, it's a flawed system. They're all flawed systems because they just are. I am 99.9% confident that Reggie and Freeney will both get in. The question is when. Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59 and mentioned earlier, should be of interest tonight with NFL honors, certainly. 
um, as we approach the Super Bowl. And, of course, uh, for Colts fans, that interest coming up later on tonight. Mike's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I, I did want to ask you this away from the Hall of Fame possibilities that linger with Colts fans later on this evening. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the most recent assistant coaching hires of Shane Steichen and company with the Colts? I like him. I, I was I, I didn't understand getting rid of Nate Ollie, the defensive line coach. I, I don't know what was behind that. I mean, that defensive line, we probably talked about it. That defensive line, every one of those players, every one had the best year of their career. So I don't know if, if Gus and Steichen and Ballard, I, I don't know what went on. But uh, Charlie Partridge, the, the the new defensive line coach from Pitt, holy smokes, he's got a great, again, resume and profile. So uh, I, I'm I'm on board with that. It's kind of funny how every year that you watch Twitter or X, whatever it is now, all these changes are made on all these stats, and everybody's 100, 110% in favor. This is a great hire, great staff, blah, blah, blah. And then two years later, teams change their staffs. So, but I, I think there's every reason to be optimistic. I thought in most cases we saw improvement by a lot of the positions with the Colts this year. Receivers probably got better, I think. And again, didn't have a, a lot of depth to work with outside of Pittman and Pierce and, and Josh Downs. The offensive line got, you talked about, uh, position coaches. What about Tony Sperano, uh with the offensive line? I mean, that's, they were 100, 180 degrees better uh, from, from last year. So it, coaches, yes, coaches matter. Players matter, yes. Coaches matter as well. So I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I can go back how many times we've had new coaches and everybody's really high that he's this is a guy that's on detail and fundamental and blah, blah, blah. And then they replace them two years later. So, but initially, I, I like the moves. Mike Chappell of CBS Four and Fox Fifty Nine with us. Obviously, Super Bowl Sunday, and then after that, we'll mark um, our lead up uh, to what is going to be obviously March, and we'll talk about a lot of things, a lot of possibilities, and we'll find out come March. We will waste our breath with about ninety-five percent of what we discuss. Is there anything out there right now involving, you know, a possible free agent or a target that you think we could talk about right now and it will stand the test of time and be worthy of discussion coming up in March? Probably not, because if you look at the list of pending free agents, the top 15% probably won't even reach 20%, won't even reach the market. Players will be re-signed. Players will be tagged. You know, the Colts have got, uh, what, probably eight or nine really significant free agents, Pittman and Kenny Moore and Grover and on and on, Gardner Minshew. And, you know, maybe they re-sign six of those guys, five of those guys. So it's just uh, until teams do their own business, you don't know who's going to get out there. It's, it's really shapes up as, as a strong year for free agent receivers. You know, Pittman, T. Higgins, and on and on. But most of them, Mike Evans, those guys probably won't be on the market. I, I just don't I, – I see very little chance 
of Michael Pittman getting to the market, whether it's a franchise tag or a long-term deal, hopefully a long-term deal. So it's just hard to say they really need need to go after T. Higgins and let Pittman walk or Mike Evans and all this, but because that guy probably won't be available. So no, I and I'm sure there's those mid-tier guys that are going to be there, and I I haven't gone that deep uh, because how how often do the Colts go out there and get those guys? Maybe two guys a year. So I I, I don't get too involved. And also leading up to that, you know, in, in late February, early March, we got the combine here. So it'll be, you know, in about a month or so, six weeks, Indy's going to be the center of the NFL universe again, which is always kind of cool. No, I, I, I've i talked about this. I mean, hell, you remember, you were around here at the time, the last time the All-Star Weekend was here in 1985. And, I mean, hell, Mike, that's when there was nowhere to go downtown. I mean, everybody had to be stuffed into Charlie and Barney's or – you know, McDonald's inside the Hyatt, there was no place to go. And that's been a long damn time right there. Next weekend is going to be awesome. I think it's cool. And that's, I'd love to see the Indy get another Super Bowl. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I just don't. But the way that the city pulled it off, forget the weather. They got, they just got dumb lucky with the, with the weather that, that week. Yeah. But for anybody who thought that the Indy couldn't pull that off, hasn't been paying attention I, with final fours with regionals uh, what was it way back in the day the, the pan am games were here yep. there was something with there was something with canada i don't know what i can't remember what the name of it was uh th- th- this city does big really really well we've got the movers and shakers and the people who run the city you know at high levels and the sports corp these guys know what they're doing and and I think it's going to be cool. I remember, it's funny, I remember, didn't Purdue last make the Final Four in 80? Is that right? I think. Yes, 1980. Four, it was Market Square yeah. Arena. Purdue, yeah. Iowa, Louisville, and UCLA, was it not, in Final Four that year? We were watching the first game. I can't remember how it was, the first semifinal game. And, and then they're getting ready for the second one. And the second one's UCLA. And all of a sudden, everything stopped from the crowd because the UCLA dance group, the girls were, were coming out with their blue and white and their pom-poms. What a show. Uh, but, but yeah, I'd love to see them. You know, we're we're going to get the final. I, I don't know what the rotation is in Final Four, but we'll have that in regionals. Super Bowl, it would be great again. But I just think the way that Indy does big things, the, the swimming and diving and the gymnastics, and I just think it's top drawer. And like you said, the difference in, in downtown then and now is it's light years. And yeah. that's why yeah. for, for all the people who, who complain, and rightly so, about the public funding of pro sports, I understand that and they're right. How do you value what how downtown has grown because of the Colts and the NFL and, and the Pacers still being here and flourishing? You can't put a price on what that means to your city in in financial and quality of life. You just can't. No, you're right. So Mike Chapel with us. Before I let you go, we saw earlier this week, or I should say we heard for the first time in a long time, about a month, from uh, Jim Irsay via social media and X. I think Stephen Holder, you may have had it as well, verified that as actually being Jim Irsay, and we were all feeling pretty down 
and was, was wondering what was going on and feared the worst. Where are you now after that, that X remark that was made a couple of days ago? Well, you had to feel better because we may have t- touched on it last week. Well, when you don't hear any news for a long time, my mind sort of defaults to bad news is coming just because I, I just the way I'm wired. But I, I'm from what I got from that, obviously, he said he's on the mend. I'm anticipating a long road to recovery because he's been out of commission for what five or six weeks. So, but but I I I have had nothing but good thoughts for him. Each night, in my own little way, I say this to, for all whatever is on my mind. He's in there because uh, he's a close friend and what he means to the city and the team and his family. And I think it's a good sign. Uh, but knowing his history, he's, he, it's probably going to be a long road back. But it just by all indications, he's on the road back. So good for him. Good for the family. I know how, you know, how tight the family with, the, with three daughters. I think it's 10 grandkids now, for crying out loud. So good for him. Wishing nothing but the best, and I'll keep having good thoughts for him. So Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Thank you for sharing. I've I've got a quick question for you. Yes. I don't understand NBA trades. What is this crap about you get a guy, and then you wave a guy? I understand sometimes you trade for a guy, then you trade. Why would the the Pacer get a guy and then release him as opposed to the initial team releases. Well, what's up with that? Here's what's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because <laughs> Chad Buchanan, the Pacers general manager, is going to meet with the media, I think, after tonight's Golden State Pacer game. And let me see what I sent him a little bit earlier. Um, we were kind of going back and forth as you and I were talking. And I said, hey, I need you on here right now because I need to know about all these goofy-ass rules and math and stuff. Right. Because there's a there's a ton of it, yeah. So basically, what we gather, Mike, is the Pacers they traded Buddy Heald for a second rounder. Now you have Doug McDermott coming in. That was one of the second rounders, one of the three you got from Philly. But McDermott's on an expiring deal. So when we see all of this cut and dry, I'm assuming after the season, it's going to be Buddy Heald for a second rounder. And that doesn't float anybody's boat, I don't suggest, whatsoever. You made that deal with Golden State for a second rounder for uh, Corey Joseph, and Corey Joseph has now been waived. And I'm assuming it's rules and it's finances, so, you know, you can take advantage of of different situations further down the road. And one of those would be how you're going to end up giving, you know, that amount of money to Pascal Siakam. I, I think a lot of this has to do with, you know, maintaining, you know, financial footing beneath the luxury tax and making yeah. sure that you get Siakam a part of that coming up after the season. That's that's my guess. But I, I've been going back and forth with Chad going, man, I need some help here because you get a lot of rules and math that nobody understands. Well, it, it's, and it starts with the draft where you draft the guy and he, then he puts on your hat, your hat and then 10 minutes later he's going to be somebody else's property, but you can't make the trade until – you know, two months later, I, it just makes my head hurt. They, they just make it easier for us idiots, would they please? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And I, I just – people are upset with me because they think that I'm too over the top 
and put more value on Buddy Heald than what he's worth here. And I just happen to think that people really undervalue his presence. When knocking down shots, when missing shots, just his presence in general, I think is going to be drastically missed regardless of the situation. So uh, we've been going back and forth. It's been a hell of a day. It seems like what they're doing, they've got more of a long-term view. And I mean, I don't mean like three years. I'm talking playoff type yeah. thing. It's going to take these guys a while to kind of, with Siakam to kind of get together. But they think by playoff time, they're going to be some team that you're not going to want to play. And they probably be right. So Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always a pleasure, buddy. I appreciate that. And we'll make sure everybody is interested in watching later on tonight, NFL Honors. I'll have my stuff posted at 1010 on CBS 4 and Fox 59. So look it up. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you. Next week. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, sorry he was waiting a little bit longer than what I had thought when I originally scheduled him near off the top of the show or at 10 after. Evan Sidery of Forbes and more. Uh, he is our basketball analyst, insider, and such on this show who joins us right now. I, I don't know if you heard a lot of what I had to say. Um, I, I do realize that when I'm trying to debate anybody that is pro this deal, it's a losing debate for me because there are a lot of good things and certainly a lot of valid reasons as to why the Pacers made that move. I just hope this doesn't lead to a decrease in offense or a decrease in offense for others because when he is out there and he has thought about defensively, they pay attention to him defensively, it's not the same. And I also hate it when people downplay the impact he has had with this team when this team is won and the building of this team in its early stages right here. But I do realize, Evan, that mostly it is a losing battle for me, isn't it? Yeah, I think I would disagree with you a little bit on that, John, just because – and thanks again for having me on today. But I think what's big about that, and I agree on most of your points with Buddy Heald, the offensive gravity he brought, the veteran leadership in that locker room, his close relationship with Tyrese Halliburton, all great points. But what happened about 25 minutes ago, I think it plays into the role of why they did this. They reacquired Doug McDermott from the San Antonio Spurs. They traded a second-round pick and rerouted Marcus Morris. So now Doug McDermott is going to be filling that Buddy Heald role for this team. And on top of that, getting the three future second-round picks and what could be – really uh, a Andrew Nemhard type of late first-round pick. It's going to be probably a top 35 pick they got in that deal with the Sixers. You add in Doug McDermott to this rotation. He's going to be playing 15, 20 minutes per game, probably what Buddy Hill would have been playing anyways the rest of the season. McDermott's shooting almost 44% on threes this year. He's a career plus 40% three-point shooter. I see their reasoning here because I, I doubt they're going to maybe re-sign McDermott, maybe just a rental. But Buddy Hill, you weren't going to be able to keep him past this season. He was probably going to get $20-plus million dollars on the open market this summer and the luxury tax concerns there, I get the Pacers standpoint there. So I would have said maybe it, maybe it 
disrupting the chemistry a little bit with Buddy Heal off the roster. Maybe that's kind of a move. It's a risky move there. But as of 20 or so minutes ago, getting Doug McDermott from the Spurs really kind of fills that whole void that Buddy Heald is leaving. And on top of that, you get a couple future second-round picks and maybe even really an early second-round or pseudo-late first-round pick in this deal. So I kind of really honestly like the moves they made today when you added a Doug McDermott trade on top of that. Evan Sidery joins us. How many minutes do you say you expect McDermott to get in this lineup? I do. I think he'll be like the ninth, 10 guy in this rotation. I think he'll play about 15, 20 minutes per game. I think he's going to fit really well in that second unit, too, with what I'm projecting right now, whether it be Andrew Nemhart, TJ McConnell, point guard. Maybe you have Matherin off the bench still if Nemhart's starting next to Halliburton. But a potential second unit of TJ McConnell, Benedict Matherin, Obi Toppin, Jalen Smith. Then you throw in Doug McDermott as your wing there in that second unit. That's a really solid 10-man rotation there, in my opinion. And you also have Isaiah Jackson in the fold there as your 11th guy. So one of those guys gets in foul trouble there. I think that's a really solid rotation. You added assets on top of that. And McDermott's not going to be playing much, maybe 15, 20 minutes, maybe in a postseason series. He might get played off the court because he's not going to be a defensive player at all. But he's a guy that's going to fill that buddy heel type of role. So I expect him at least in the next few months to play about 15, 20 minutes a game. Yeah, I just um, – I, I thought that Buddy would get more than that. And I also – I, I kind of rationalized, you know, Buddy going to the bench. As certainly, they, they want to get better defensively. And you can tell when Nimhart Evan, is playing now, uh, he's, he's more focused on the defensive end than he has been. I mean, really, he shot it well the other night against Houston, and he hasn't prior to, but it's almost been like that the, the scoring in his offensive end was secondary into, into what they have told him they want him to be defensively. And I, I think that that's, A, the reason why he was vaulted into the starting lineup, but B, I think we have seen the evolution once again of T.J. McConnell and the importance that they see in him getting more clock, more minutes as that backup point guard and wanting to see even more of that. I think that that played as significant of a role as anything else did in all that is going on right now with that lineup change. And also, I think, too, just going back to the Buddy Heald trade a little bit here, John, I I think they were really excited about what they've seen from Ben Shepard over the last month or so. His defense, his energy – his three-point shot's not falling now, but he was a 40% three-point shooter at Belmont. So he could be another guy you can throw in there. And this Buddy Heald trade, I think, more to me speaks to the time is now for Benedict Matherin. Uh, I think the time is now for him to really show he could be that third foundational piece or fourth foundational piece of this core alongside Hal Burton, Pascal Siakam, and Miles Turner. If Benedict Matherin plays well this year and potentially next year, if, if they go about that, I actually do think this is more of a bet on Benedict Matherin at this point because I think Buddy Heald, he would have been gone this summer anyways, but now this opens up more minutes for guys like Ben Shepard, Benedict Matherin as well. So I think, honestly, the, the Buddy Heald void, I think it's going to hurt a little bit in the short term. But once you integrate these young guys, get them more minutes in, in the lineup, maybe Doug McDermott gets thrown into that mix as well. I really like how they shake, the, shake things up a little bit. All right, uh, it's Evan Sider with us, too. And um, we also should mention the Warriors, who are in town tonight against the Pacers, trading Corey Joseph back to the Pacers, another guy that's been here before. And that deal, reportedly from Shams, is worthy of a second-round selection. So Corey Joseph back as well as Doug McDermott. And Buddy healed off to Philadelphia. So now we're, what, 20 minutes or so past the NBA trade deadline. I don't know if anything else is going to trickle in informationally. What do you view about what the Pacers have done here in the past three or so hours? 
I'm a big fan of it. Uh, the Corey Joseph move, just to give some notes on that real quick. He'll be the third, fourth playing guard. He probably won't be in the rotation. The Pacers are actually over the roster limit now after this Corey Joseph trade, which makes me really believe after Marcus Morris got traded and rerouted in that Doug McDermott trade, Furkan Korkmaz, who they got in that trade as well with Buddy Heald, I think he's going to be the odd man out here. I think he'll probably be bought out and he'll be off this roster in the next couple of days, which will keep Corey Joseph on this roster instead. But and when you add in Corey Joseph, Doug McDermott, two former Pacers, two guys who can shoot the three if necessary, you add in as well into the mix there. I do like what they did. I think the draft picks is going to be interesting. Now the Pacers have, I believe, four second-round picks in 2029, which is a lot. I know it's six years, five years down the road, but these assets. Uh, Kevin Percher always talks about John optionality. And I feel like a move like this really opens things up for them in the summer where they have an extra – pseudo late first round pick early second round pick you have all these future second round picks in the next four or five years on top of their first round picks they still own outside of the pascal siakam trade that they traded away i think the pacers now they let a guy who they're going to leave anyways in the summer they got three second round picks in exchange for him they replaced him in the short term in doug mcdermott who's an even better three-point shooter than buddy heald's been so far this year i think it's a slight downgrade as far as the rotation goes as far as replacing heald with mcdermott but I think overall what they've done, the asset movement they've done as well, I get the pace for the solid B-plus in this deadline. So Evan Sidery joins us. Forbes Sports and more. Used to be with Basketball News. Does his own thing as well. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Whiskey Business on the South Side NBA Jam. And Michelob Ultra, the side where you can play in the uh, winter. Gets the shoes right here. I'll explain coming up in just a second. How much of an impact did this deal have on – the Pacers now, however many weeks, what, three weeks, close to a month, at least gaining on that, passed the deal for Pascal Siakam where you know, and you probably knew anyway, right, what he was going to be, and you know what you're going to have to pay him, and you're maybe setting the stage for that or maybe even more so setting the stage to try to compete for somebody like Jalen Smith. This move impactful with those two personalities in mind. Yeah, I think Buddy Hill getting – Trading him today and getting those assets back, it was just an indication they weren't going to re-sign him. And just with the way their roster crunch is going to be salary-wise this summer, John, you're going to give Siakam a four- or five-year full-scale max contract. It's going to be over $40 million a year. That's going to be a lot, a lot of money there. You add in Jalen Smith, if they want to keep him around, he's probably going to cost around $10, $11 million a year because that's what backup centers that are really good are going for nowadays in free agency. If he declines that player option, He's going to cost around that around that money. So now if you trade away Buddy Heald, you now have the flexibility to re-sign Siakam to his full-scale max contract. You also have the flexibility now to re-sign Jalen Smith to a respectable offer around 8 to $10 million a year. And even then, you still avoid the luxury tax, which I think is a huge deal. As everyone knows, the Pacers have never yeah. paid the luxury tax before. I imagine it's not going to be happening anytime soon anyways. So to avoid the luxury tax, you bring back – uh, assets for Buddy Heald, and now you have more flexibility for getting a guy back like Jalen Smith, which is a good example there. Maybe now you can keep Jalen Smith instead of Buddy Heald, and Jalen Smith this year has really proven he might be the long-term starting five of the future. So, Evan Sidery, who was with us, um, you look at uh, Buddy Heald. Do you think Buddy Heald's going to be longer term in Philly, or is this a stopgap while Embiid's out just looking for anything right now to try to survive offensively? 
I think for them, it's more of the short term, but it's also once Embiid is back in the postseason, it sounds like Embiid should be back in March or April. And having a guy with the gravity of Buddy Hill you were talking about earlier, John, that's going to be a huge, huge help for a guy like Joel Embiid, where Hill's going to be getting massively wide open shots now, even more so than we've saw throughout his Pacers tenure. Once Embiid's back in that lineup, he's going to play once Tyrese Maxey in that backcourt, too. Maybe Buddy Hill get play off the court a little bit in the postseason due to his defense, but. If you throw in a 40% three-point shooter next to a guy like Joel Embiid, he's going to be getting spoon-fed easy looks from three pretty immediately once Embiid's back in the lineup. In the short term, though, with no Joel Embiid, I think it might be a difficult adjustment period for them with Buddy Heald. But I do think it's all about betting on Joel Embiid and his health because this Sixers team continues to disappoint in the postseason. You just have to add as much shooters as you can around Embiid. So I see the risk they took there. Do we know how far off the Pacers were with – Buddy Heald and his representation on, you know, contract extension that they had talked about. And obviously didn't seem like they came near any common ground with that. Yeah, I, I, I've heard the same on that, John. And I, it was way back in the, in the preseason around September or so. I think Buddy Heald and his camp wanted around $20 million annually on an extension. The Pacers were not wanting to do anything close to that, more in the 10 to $15 million a year range, probably in the $15 million a year range there. And that kind of dialogue was stalling out. That's why we saw the report in September saying the Pacers were open to trading Buddy Heald due to those field extension talks. I think with the way free agency is shaping up, John, Buddy Heald's probably going to be one of the top free agents available, which is going to make him a lot of money this summer, even with the down year he's had so far. And I think the Pacers kind of realized we're not going to be able to afford Buddy Heald. He's going to get $20 million a year from someone, but I think it's not going to be Indiana. So I think for that, I think they were just too far uh, too far apart in contract extension talks, uh, really, for this to ever be resolved. I think they kind of knew from the very beginning back in September October that Buddy Heald probably was going to be gone by the deadline. Yeah, so – how many minutes compare? This can be, you mentioned this regarding McDermott, and I know a lot of people are, you know, kind of comparing the two. Or they got McDermott now, so you know that makes everything make sense. How, how many minutes? Do you, you said McDermott's going to get like ten to fifteen, I think, is what you said. So was Buddy's minutes going to decrease to that point as well? Is that something you would have seen had he stayed within this team and its roster? I kind of felt, honestly, we were reaching that point. Just with the way Ben Shepard's been playing lately, he's really actually earned a rotation spot, as you've seen. that He's not been getting recalled down to the Mad Ants with Jairus Walker, just been Jairus Walker over the last two or three weeks, going back and forth to the to the Mad Ants there. Ben Shepard earned his spot in this rotation. I think the Pacers are really intrigued now to potentially get him some minutes, maybe throw in Doug McDermott, and they, those two guys split those minutes that Buddy Heal is now leaving. And as mentioned, he also opened the door more and more for guys like Andrew Nemhard and Benedict Mathurin to get even more minutes. So I think it's a bet on the young guys. It's also a bet on Doug McDermott. If you have to play him 10 to 15 minutes a game, he's going to give you that three-point shooting that Buddy healed that he's leaving with. So I really think that Ben Shepard honestly played a big role in this, along with Bennett and Matherin. A lot better defensively, I guess, too. Or are we just counting on that with the insertion of Nimhard in the starting lineup now? Is that where that comes from? Because my major concern is – and I guess now it doesn't matter because Buddy Heal's going to be in Philadelphia. But I'm sorry, Evan, this team, this team, and I know that things get tighter, especially when you get into the postseason, and it's really going to be tough to put up those extravagant numbers on the board. I just don't think this team is capable of winning if they don't at least get in the ballpark of what has been normalcy offensively this year. That has been a concern of mine. How about you? 
Yeah, I mean, the way this Pacers roster sh- shooken out, John, over the last couple months, and really since the Pascal Siakam trade, they got a little better defensively, but the, the, the DNA of this team is really you have to score 130, 140 points for them to win. And that's not a long-term sustainable winning formula. But Siakam, since he's come, the Pacers have gotten a little bit better. And that might be all they need, to be honest. Like, they're a top 25, top 20 defense instead of the bomb, too, which I think is actually a big difference for this Pacers team. And I think – Seeing Tyrese Halliburton getting back in the lineup and seeing Halliburton hopefully go off this minutes restriction soon after the All-Star break, I think that's when you're going to really see this team at full force because really Halliburton and Siaka have not really played one full game together yet. They play, played in Portland, but that's when Halliburton re-aggravated his hamstring injury. So we haven't really seen those two guys play full minutes together yet. And I think that's the most exciting part here is seeing how those two are going to function the next couple months, how these young guys are going to develop now how you can integrate a guy like Doug McDermott into this rotation. I think what the Pacers did today is pretty solid. And I think, honestly, with the defense, it's going to always be a concern with this team with the way they built this roster. Tyrese Halliburton's not ever going to probably be a plus defender. But if you can surround him with guys like Siakam, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nemhard, that goes a long way. And Miles Turner at the rim as well. That's going to go a very long way to at least hiding Halliburton on, on defense and allowing them to focus fully on offense there. So they've gotten better defensively, John. I think offensively, they're going to have to keep doing what they're doing, but I think they're going to be a very scrappy, very tough team in the postseason. I don't think a lot of teams in the East want to play this team. So Evan Sidery, again, the deals today, the first that started the avalanche, if you will, was uh, Buddy Hield going to Philly. That was Corkmaz and Morris, three second-rounders coming back here. And then right before the 3 o'clock hour, Doug McDermott here for Marcus Morris, who had a cup of coffee barely, and then is heading to San Antonio, where I'm likely he's going to be bought out and be out there for a buyout type of deal for somebody here for the stretch run of the regular season. So Doug McDermott is here, and then another second rounder, I believe, to Golden State. So Corey Joseph can just uh, transfer locker rooms, I guess, when he gets to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Again, two former Pacers in the fold. Am I up to date on everything right here? I want to make sure I am. Up to date? Yeah, it's been a big wheeling and dealing day, John. You see Buddy Heat out the door. You add in McDermott. You add in Corey Joseph for a reunion in Indiana. But, yeah, very active day for the Pacers. Very active day in the NBA for sure. Is there anything that I missed regarding situational impact further down the road? Because, you know, a lot of this – I call it nerdery, and I call it nerdery because I'm not good at math, but a lot of the math and you know, a lot of the rules and such, anything I missed as far as what the Pacers were trying to do with all this on this day to position, to, to, to position themselves better, not just for today, but for further down the road? Anything at all that I whiffed on? No, I think we covered all the bases there. Honestly, you get Buddy Heald, a guy you're not going to re-sign anyways due to the cap constrictions. He, you get three second-round picks for him, and you add in now the flexibility of re-signing Siakam to a max contract and potentially bringing back Jalen Smith and or Obi Toppin, and you're not going to be hitting the luxury tax now. And he would have done that if you would have re-signed Buddy Heald to what he wanted, plus brought back Toppin, plus brought back Jalen Smith. So now you have more flexibility where you can bring back – Siakam plus one or two of those guys off the bench, and now you avoid the luxury tax, which the Simon family's never paid, and I, I doubt they will ever. Are you surprised Toppin's still here? A little bit. A little bit, because I think that I would have been very curious to see Jairus Walker in the second half of the season, but the way this team's playing, they're in win-now mode. I, I totally get it. Obi Toppin, he's been inconsistent, but I think he fits well off that bench, and especially next to a guy like Jalen Smith. Uh, he's played well next to him, too, so 
maybe Obi Toppin can split those minutes up with McDermott, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, all those guys fighting for minutes there. But Obi Toppin, I'll be very curious to see what happens to him in the summer because he'll be a restricted free agent. The Pacers can bring him back on his qualifying offer. They can match any offer they want to as well. Maybe with Toppin's inconsistent play, might be able to bring him back on a cheaper deal than many expect. All right, I, I did want to mention this, and this is – I'm going to sound kind of like a jackass, Evan. I don't mean to sound like this whatsoever. People are shaking their head going, yeah, sure. But I don't. But I always draw this conclusion. And, and you brought up Jairus Walker, and, you know, you, you really want to see him. Why? why? Why is it necessary right now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's more so just because, me personally, I was a big fan of Jairus Walker in the pre-draft process. He reminded me, me an too. awful lot. Me too. I liked him too, yes. He's, it reminds me of a Draymond Green type of player. He was he was built up in the pre-draft process, one of the more NBA-ready prospects. So when the Pacers drafted him, I immediately thought he might be their starting power forward. and that, That's what I was thinking going into training camp. I think he's developing a little slower than they expected. I think they're experimenting more and more with him on the offensive end in the G League, doing what he's doing with the Mad Ants. So I get what they're doing. They're taking an extremely slow process with Jairus Walker. I think it's more so just the excitement of a guy like Jairus Walker because with the way this Pacers team is now and constructing moving forward, Pascal Siakam, Jairus Walker is probably going to be the highest draft pick they're going to have for a very long time. So you need to hit on Jairus Walker. You need to make sure he's going to be part of your core moving forward here. Obviously, they kept him out of the Pascal Siakam traits. So they like him in his long-term future there. I guess now with Toppin staying around too, John, this is going to be a full retro year for Jairus Walker in his rookie year. I just thought about this, and there's a reason why that Rick Carlisle doesn't put him in, and I like him too. And I thought there was a reason. People always say, well, you know, you trade Buddy because you've got to get Matherin more minutes. Well, he could have more minutes, earn more minutes. I mean, I don't think Rick wasn't hustling Buddy out there all the time, but we got to make sure we make Buddy Heald happy right here, Right. So is it not about earning it? And it does come down to the coach doing that. So, and, and listen, I want to see Matherin play. I love watching Benedict Matherin play. But I also respect the judgment of Rick Carlisle when a dude or somebody else may not be ready and not trying to force him into a situation where, I'm sorry, people around here want to stink and win right now. And we can get all excited about the future, and you should be. But... This is also a – it'd be really great if he'd win right now because we're all really used to losing around here moment. And I think sometimes situations like that, Evan, get lost on it. For sure. And I think now with how loaded this rotation is, I mean, they can play 10, 11, maybe even a 12th guy in this rotation still after today. Like, they still have a lot of depth on this roster, one of the best benches in the NBA. I think you have the luxury of letting Jairus Walker come along slowly this year, for example. And maybe next year, if Obi Toppin doesn't stay, that's when you put Jairus Walker into the rotation as your backup big and go from there. But I, I do think guys like Mather, and we've already seen it last year with Rick Carlisle, he was intentionally very slow at Benedict Mather early on. And that was by design. That's to get him developed, to get his foundations in place for what is important on the NBA level. And when you think about it more and more, to probably exactly what they're doing with Jairus Walker, too. I just think Jairus Walker's a little bit more raw than Benedict Mather was, especially on the offensive end. I think that's probably what they're doing with Jairus Walker a little bit, is just playing it slow and kind of taking that route they did last year at Matherin, where you, you let him earn his minutes, earn his time, and then now maybe next year you see Jairus Walker unleash into that rotation a little bit. Well done, as always, Evan. I appreciate that. Especially yeah. putting up with my uh, hard-headed jackassery, which can be difficult. My apologies. <laughs> oh, no. I always enjoy it, John. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, speaking of hoop, it's been a busy day on the trade deadline day in the NBA for the Pacers. Buddy Heald, the Philly, you get three second rounders and uh, Marcus Morris, and uh, Forkin Cornmats in return. And it looks like any of those will stay. Actually, they've exercised, I think, a couple of those second rounders. So as it remains right now, it's Buddy Heald for a second rounder. Doug McDermott coming from San Antonio back to the Pacers. That was a second rounder and Marcus Morris. And then Corey Joseph back to the Pacers, too, from Golden State whom the Pacers play later on tonight. He, since that point in time, after being traded for a second rounder, has been reportedly released. And to sort it all out from setting the pace, he is Alex Golden. Um, It's been, I mean, just kind of a hair-on-fire type of day for the Pacers, Pacer fans, and and those covering it. But at the end, (laughs) you're going to get like Doug McDermott and a second rounder. That's looked like that's all the return of the day, right, is what we're looking at? Yeah, that and maybe they keep Perk on Corkmoss. We'll see exactly if that yeah. if that player still remains. I think he's 26 years old, so could make some sense to keep him on the roster. Like you said, they already cut Corey Joseph, who they acquired right at the deadline at three o'clock. So yeah, honestly, today I, I, I haven't really been one to really criticize much of the trades Pritchard and Buchanan have done, but to me, I think the Pacers got a little bit worse. I thought so too. Were you a fan of it of this day? I, I think it made sense, right? Like, obviously, they weren't going to come to an agreement with Buddy Hill for a contract extension, so good chance that he does walk away in June but or June or July. But at this point, you know, why not just let him walk then instead of getting yeah. uh, a decent, you know, a couple second-round picks? Like, yeah, you don't lose them for nothing, technically. That pick that could – I think it's Toronto and, like, a couple other teams are attached to it. But likely the pick second-round pick this year from Toronto, like – probably be around like 35 to 40 that's the pick you get back for buddy Hill. it's like what are you really doing with that pick so to me it's like is it really worth messing up the uh chemistry that this team has and how good buddy Hill fits in i don't think so so i think they took a step back but i don't think it's going to impact them incredibly about a lot but i still think that it was a deal that kind of ended up putting them back a spot i um there has to be something further that we're looking at i mean is there something that that's going to be dealing with siakam is it something that they may want to do further down the road? How many steps ahead do you think they might be right now considering the measures that were taken by this team before the trade deadline today? Yeah, I, I really don't know, John. I think it's too hard to tell. I mean, Siakam's numbers are going to be pretty high. Halliburton's extension kicks in. They're going to be a team that's over the salary cap, so they're going to have to operate as a team that's trying to do that. And obviously, Buddy Hill, the contract he wanted to heard was – pretty big so I mean it makes sense why they didn't want to give him that number but at the same time I'm just kind of I'm kind of puzzled by why not just write it out like does Doug McDermott make you better than Buddy Hill no I mean we saw what McDermott could do here but Buddy Hill fit in so well with this team and Halliburton talked about it after the game on Tuesday night Caitlin Cooper did a great job pointing out all the things he does even when he's not shooting the basketball so or well so yeah, I just I was a little bit surprised. I don't I don't really know exactly what they're gonna do. They could bring McDermott back on a cheaper contract that could be tradable, so that's one pro maybe, but at this point, I don't know. I, I feel like 
just let it play out. There's a good playoff run. Maybe Buddy decides, okay, I want to be back here with this team. And instead of kicking the can down the road, obviously the front office guys know exactly what those numbers were. So, you know, I'm not going to sit next like I know more than them. But at the same time, I just wonder, was this the right move at the right time? Um, you could probably tell if you're listening earlier today, I was, I was disappointed. And, of course, people, mm-hmm. you know, have been kind of ripping me with my disappointment and, and really downplaying the impact, the effect that Buddy Heald had on this team. And just looking at, well, he's been in a slump, which, as you know, I think is absolute BS because it's worth more. And I've explained what I view his worth at far beyond just his making or missing on the floor. <laughs> I mean, you look at this, I mean, do you look at this as something that you're disappointed in? I mean, yes and no. Like, I knew that it was something that could happen. We talked about it at nauseum on our podcast. Just, you know, what kind of deal could you get back for Buddy Heald? And everything that we threw out that we were trying to maybe hope we'd get more than what they got back for the Pacers. You know, because to me, Marcus Morris and Perkin Korkmaz and three second-round picks, that doesn't scream a lot of value. So kind of shows you how other teams valued Buddy Heald in terms of his expiring contract. But, you know, that the second-round picks, they are nice assets to have moving forward. So it's not a bad thing. Obviously, I think they traded, I think, the Clippers' second-round pick that conveys in 2029. That's how far down the road it is. They used that to get McDermott. So I just feel like overall, John, the Pacers, the only good thing that they did today was they made it a little bit easier rotation-wise to make sure that Ben Mather and Andrew Nimhart get more of an uptick in minutes because we know Rick Carlisle really relied on Buddy quite a bit uh, and played him a lot of minutes, even using him as a starter for a majority of the season. So – I just feel like maybe the, the front office is like, hey, we want to see our young guys kind of flourish a little bit more. Maybe this gives them an opportunity to get Ben Shepard in there more. And it does kind of simplify things come playoff time. But I just, I just, it's hard to take away a guy that was 15th in the league and three pointers made this season, even only shooting 38%. But that's still a really good number. Just last year, I think he shot around 42%. So it's a dip. But, you know, you're right. He is in a slump. He's not a great defender, but. He does more than just shoot the basketball. He, he creates so much space for the offense to, to be effective. So, you know, it depends. It'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to see what happens here with how they play without him. But I, I just feel like at this point with how well they played this season, I wasn't a super fan of what they did, but I understood it from a business side. I just didn't love it. Um, Silas Golden setting the pace, talking about the deals today, the, the flurry of deals, if you will, prior to the trade deadline of the NBA for the Pacers. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And don't forget, you get the Pacers and the Warriors tonight. 6.30, your coverage begins right here after an anything goes that should be spirited coming up here in the 6 o'clock hour. Um, I saw Rick Carlisle was quoted 15 minutes ago saying this. We're not just building a team for this year. We have a longer-range vision. That's Rick Carlisle. Problem I have with that, okay, fine. I think everybody understands it, and that's where I'll put this. We all understand that. Why is it so wrong considering the look of what you got in return to also playing at your best right now? Because let's face it, even in a slump, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that this team got better by virtue of, of this deal or these deals today. So why, why can't you have both around here? Why can't that be both for Pacer fans? I'm curious. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Like, the moves they made today didn't scream that they're doing this for the future of anything unless, 
like I mentioned, they're wanting to get younger guys playing time to see what they can do in a playoff series. And that to me does make some sense. And that second round pick that they could get next year, potentially from Toronto around 35, 40, like I mentioned, like that maybe does give them a little bit more of like a, Hey, we wanted to get a player that's younger on a two way deal or a contract that's really cheap to have in case, you know, there's somebody they're targeting in that range. You know, you just never know what like players are looking at, but at that point, I just I still don't understand why they just didn't hold on to Buddy if they were going to make the moves they did today because it felt like it was kind of like, you know, you, you gave away the best player in, in all the deals that were done today. And the best athlete you got back is a early second-round pick. You know, McDermott, a veteran, he's not going to really be a part of this team's future moving forward, in my opinion. Like, if you're trying to look at the future, it's not like you're investing a whole lot in a 32-year-old McDermott. So, I feel like the best experience is to get into the playoffs, let these guys kind of see what they have. And Buddy Hill's never been to the playoffs, so it would have been a good opportunity for him as well to kind of get a different feeling out there of what that's like. And that's why I feel like there could have been maybe an emotional change in terms of how he felt about the money they were offering him because right. it would lead to maybe some winning basketball, playing with one of his best friends in Tyrese Halliburton. So, and if not, at least you'd have his bird rights. Maybe you could do a sign-and-trade and find something better in the offseason trade-wise and what they got. But they probably didn't feel like they could, so they moved off of him. They, if they really wanted to move Buddy Hill for younger players, they probably should have moved him in the offseason when he had more value than waiting till the deadline. But, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to be in that spot because I know they really like Buddy Hill. They wanted to get something done, so they were trying to bet on themselves. And, you know, we'll see how this plays out. But with the young guys coming up, you know, this is a great opportunity for Ben Matherin and Andrew Nimhart to kind of prove that they belong and that there are staples moving forward to this team, and I'm, I'm excited to see their growth. People have asked me this, and I'll ask you. Do you think that Buddy Heald and his representation asked for this, desired this, wanted this? That's a good question. I mean, I haven't really thought of it from that angle. It's very possible that if they weren't able to agree on a contract uh, extension, then, hey, let me go somewhere else that can potentially do that, and that's why – I think you saw the two names rumored were like Detroit and Philadelphia. And so Philly's got a ton of cap space. They had a lot of players on expiring contracts, so they could easily bring him back and, and still have a lot of room to make other moves. And I know that Daryl Morey has been a long admirer of Buddy Heald. So I think that if you have a healthy Embiid with Tyrese Maxey and, and, and Buddy Heald, that's a pretty good uh, combination there of those three guys, depending on who else they bring back or who else they go out and try to get. So it, it does make some sense. I, I'm just glad the Pacers were able to find Buddy Hill a home that's uh, of a team that's going to make the playoffs just so he can eventually get to that point and just experience what playoff basketball is like because uh, that's like one of the most funny jokes running around is like who's the player that's got the most active games played in the regular season and not a playoff game with Buddy Hill. So I just feel like he deserves it. He's been a good pro here. He was a good Pacer. Didn't really cause any issues. And the locker room loved him. I feel like that's another aspect of it that we're not looking at, though, is just the positivity he brought with that locker room. I think those guys are really going to miss him. So, Alice Golden is setting the pace. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I haven't seen it. Has uh, Carlisle mentioned, did they get with Halliburton about this and get any kind of okay? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Tyrese knew about it. I think that's part of the reason why maybe Tyrese oh, kind of stood uh, okay. Up well, here it is. Hey, hold on a second, Alex. I'll let you finish. I saw this from James Boyd. Rick Carlisle says he hasn't spoken to Halliburton directly about Buddy Heald being traded, but he's aware of how much Heald meant to Halliburton. Does that sound super strange to you as it does to me? 
it, it sounds a little interesting that Carlisle hasn't talked to him, but we know that we know that Tyrese was also heavily involved in the Pacers' pursuit of Pascal Siakam, and they had talked before. So I don't think that Tyrese is at all stunned by this possibility that Buddy Hill could be moved. I'm sure that they kind of let him know, like, hey, we're listening to offers, that kind of thing. I mean, but at the end of the day, like, Tyrese Halliburton is the player. The front office guys have to do what's best for the team, and it's going to be hard emotionally-wise, player-wise. So I'm sure Tyrese doesn't love this move, but I'm sure he understands it. But I, I don't think it's going to negatively impact how he plays the game or what he thinks of Indiana, but it does, you know, it does make you wonder a little bit just because they were like best friends. They've been on each other's team since Tyrese got drafted. So it'll be a different dynamic and it's just another adjustment for Tyrese Halliburton. But, you know, I I think he'll be okay. I don't think the front office would have made this trade if they knew it was going to really upset and ruffle the feathers of Halliburton. You, um, you downgrade at all your expectation for what's remaining on this season with this deal? No, I don't think so. And I think when we talked, you know, a couple of days ago, I said that if they do trade Buddy Hill, I don't think it's going to negatively impact their win-loss record, that kind of thing, because he is a role player at the end of the day. And, you know, there might be a night McDermott gets hot, and so you kind of feel like, okay, he's kind of replacing what Buddy did in this moment here. But, you know, it's just great opportunity, like I mentioned earlier, just for growth for Ben Matherin. Like, now he doesn't have to worry about another guy getting minutes over him. So he's strictly, like, clearly the best player off the bench, and, it, they're hoping for that year three step that a lot of guys take next year. And this hopefully can give him a little bit of time, get rejuvenated after the all-star break and then hit the ground running the last 25 plus games of the season. And then just really get ready for the postseason. Like what can Ben Matherin do when he's really relied upon? And I feel like, you know, that that's, that's the positive here. I think that the guys are good enough. Like that starting five is pretty solid with Nimhard with Neesmith, Halliburton, Siak and Turner. Like they, they've got a good group still. So you're just losing one role player. It's not like McDermott's a terrible player. So I think that there's still a good possibility that they probably achieve the same amount of wins they would have with Buddy Hill. But, you know, there's always that game where Buddy Hill come in and get hot and hit seven, eight threes in the game and, and swing a game for you. So they do miss that potentially, but I don't necessarily think it really changes the, the projection for the rest of the season. I have explained it this way, too, and then people disagree, and I just kind of shake my head a little bit about it, that – when Buddy's on the floor, he is so accomplished at the craft of shooting threes through a struggle or when he is making. It's all the same in how teams scout, prepare for him, and then rotationally speaking, on the floor, he creates space for others, in particular for Tyrese Halliburton. And those are things just beyond the three-point making ability that you have with him that now goes to Philadelphia and you lose with him. And I, I think a lot of people around here, just because he'd slump shooting, I think a lot of people don't truly realize that, but I think they will when it's no longer around. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think McDermott can provide some of the same things, right, with his spacing and the gravity he's going to draw. He's a different player overall, and I don't think he'll play as many minutes as maybe Buddy Hill was relied upon, but – I mean, McDermott did play, I believe, those 26 games, John, with Rick Carlisle in Dallas before he signed with the Pacers when he got traded from New York to Dallas midseason back like four or five years ago, and he shot around 49% from three. So I think that Carlisle knows a lot of the tendencies that McDermott has and where he can get in the good-looking spots on the court. So 
I don't think that'll be a problem with him fitting in offensively and kind of replacing some of what Buddy Hill did, but it, it clearly won't be at the same level of impact because he doesn't have that same synergy with Tyrese Halliburton and where to, you know, he, he knows, Buddy Hill knows where to go at in this offense, why well, it's going to be a learning process for McDermott. But, you know, that, that definitely does impact it. And I, I just feel like, you know, Buddy Hill was probably one of the most misunderstood pacers by fans on this team in terms of what he does because, yeah, he isn't a great defender, but there was times where he played pretty solid team defense, not a good on-ball defender. We saw him get attacked, you know, relentlessly against the Suns. And I think it was more of an eye-opener, like, okay, we know that we really don't know if we can trust him come playoff time because of his defensive liability. But what he brings offensively, it cannot be uh, mistaken. You can't just push to the side because he was a huge asset for this team offensively. So Alex Golden setting the pace is going to have a lot for you, I'm sure, with a fresh new podcast and more coming out. Shared some thoughts on the day that was the NBA trade deadline and a lot going on with this Pacer team. By the way, Clay Thompson not playing, if anybody cared. For the Warriors coming up later on tonight, that game at Gamers Fieldhouse with Golden State and the Pacers. Alex? I appreciate that, man. I'm sure we'll catch up again soon and see what happens. Hey, by the way, OG Ananobi, elbow surgery, so obviously he's unavailable for the Knicks coming up this weekend when the Pacers are there, but the Knicks made a lot of deals to win right now. That should be even more interesting. Alex, they got you covered for that, too. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, thanks again, John. While we were talking, Corkmaz got waived, too, so... Uh... <laughs> You know, so we're going to have another open roster spot. I guess be on the lookout for a buyout candidate if they're maybe wanting to add somebody else. I don't know what's going to happen. But, yeah, I thought the Knicks clearly won the trade deadline today and really good. No yeah. and OB Bogdanovich, just some really good moves by the Knicks. And I think they might have the deepest 12-man roster now in the entire NBA. There it is. Thank you, Alex, for that update. No cork moss. Yes, only <laughs> He was only a fleeting dream around here. Thanks, brother. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks, Jamie. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Our next guest is going to be a member of the Arizona Diamondbacks. He is a friend of the show. And this is a little bit away from baseball for Tucker Barnhart right now. What do you think about Buddy Heald in that trade? Are you excited? Uh, well, you know, I, I wasn't expect, expecting that, so I appreciate it. Uh, I think, I mean, I think they made the, I think they made the deal. I mean, they made the deal that they had to make. I think. I mean, a guy that a guy that was on an expiring deal that you really don't know what the future holds. I mean, I, I like that they got Doug McDermott back in terms of uh, the, sh the three-point shooting and everything that you lost in Buddy. I think you gained it back in Doug. Um, I just hope it doesn't disrupt chemistry. I mean, I've been in situations where guys get traded at deadlines that it, it takes a second for the, for the clubhouse or for the locker room to, to kind of get back together. You feel like you kind of lost one of the guys that, that you've kind of gotten to the place that you're at. Uh, with and so it makes it a little interesting uh, but it seems like they got a great group of guys so I, I hope uh, like I said I hope it doesn't affect them uh, that much. So Tucker Barnhart with us are you on the road right now? Uh, tomorrow morning tomorrow morning I'm hopping in my truck and I'm headed west Oklahoma City 
tomorrow night um, and then Albuquerque on Saturday night and might uh, catch Great White and uh, Slaughter. They play at some casino down there, so I might have to check that out for something to do. Up all <laughs> night, sleep all day. Wow, well, you're like, me and, uh, me and you're like my Thelma. Six-year-old friends. <laughs> you're like uh, Thelma and Louise without one another. You're like Thelma or Louise. I don't know which one you would be. That's like you right here. I don't know. I don't know who I would be, but it sounds like I am. So I, I, uh, I'm going to enjoy the drive. It's uh, as I've gotten older, drive, I like I like to drive out there. It's uh, it's long, but it's fun. Do you sing? At the top of my lungs. I love At it. At the top of my Me lungs. Me too. Me too. You know, never in their life has anybody sounded more like Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam when singing in their vehicle than I do. You know what I mean? You know, I sound exactly I, like Vetter. I, I completely agree. And there's nobody that's covered Journey, Bon Jovi, Great White, <laughs> Winger better than I have when I'm alone in my car. I promise you that I sound mm. just like all those guys. Just so clean. You hit all the right notes. I mean, it's just comfortable right there. It just all kind of happens in, in that right. Tucker Barnhart of the no, Diamondbacks no. joins us. How did um, this whole Diamondback thing break down for you? How'd that happen? Uh, it just was um, kind of – it happened pretty fast. Um, it, coming off the year that I had last year, uh, in terms of everything that went on, um, I wouldn't say the market was bare, but it was just kind of um, uh, just deals or, or, or offers to, to basically come in and, and make their t- make teams. And um, it felt like to me that the Diamondbacks were the best fit of the group of teams that I had uh, talking to me or talking to my agent. Um, obviously a really good team playing in the world series last year. Um, it just, it, I'm looking forward to the opportunity. Um, Arizona is a great place to play. Um, like I said, a really good team and just hope to, uh, add to it. And uh, I'm just looking forward to, uh, go down playing baseball. So Tucker Barnard is with us. Have they told you anything? What, what are the expectations? Are you going in just kind of just wanting to be you hanging with you a little bit? No doubt. Yeah, they want want me to be me. Uh, they want me to come in and catch and and take care of uh, pitching staff, help help those guys grow. Um, but at the end of the day, I have to make the team, and, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't have te- a technical roster spot uh, as it stands yet, um, but I will. And uh, and everything that they've that they've told me, um, I talked to Tori Lavolo for probably an hour and a half on a Zoom call one day uh, when all this was transpiring, and uh, loved everything that he was about and that he talked about um, and he um, was very complimentary of me um, and the way that I play and what he thought I could bring to their team. So it's, it's a good situation. I'm really looking forward to getting back and playing with Eugenio Suarez. Um, it, we played <laughs> together in Cincinnati for a long time. Uh, so I, I'm just excited to, uh, to be back in a comfortable situation uh, with people that I know that, that appreciate me as a player and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, I mean, given, Given what transpired a year ago, there should be a pretty high level of excitement starting out here this year, right? Yeah, it seems like it. Um, I, I would, uh, I'd be shocked if there if there wasn't. Everything that I've heard and guys that I've talked to are, are expecting that, and uh, so I'm just I'm looking forward to getting out west and and getting playing um, and just being myself and uh, going out and, and, and showing them how much that I belong. And uh, like, I'm just really, I'm thankful for it. Last year was a little bit of a, a stressful situation uh, for 
the 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 reality or the the thought that it may I may be done in a way kind of thing at the big league level just because of like I said how everything went last year but uh looking forward to getting back and uh and playing ball and and playing back in the big leagues. Hey Tucker, were there moments after last year that you thought you would be done playing baseball? I mean, I I'd be lying if I said no. Uh I I mean, I think the I've been very, very fortunate and lucky to to be in a certain situation for for a long time at the major league level for nine and a half years, go, going on ten years, and you know the 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 realization of having to go back to the minor leagues just was was shell shocking in a way, I guess. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I put myself in that position, and um, I went into this off season like really really confident and comfortable and getting back to me as a player had a lot of, uh, I guess the, the old adage, you had a lot of cooks in the kitchen in terms of what people thought I should do and what my swing Uh-oh. should look like and how I should catch. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, I think there's the, the human element in things as well is the thought of, well, I mean, what I've been doing isn't really working right now. So maybe I should change. And I, I just, for the last, I would say year and a half or so I've, I've been like that. I've, I've tinkered and tried, and, and I just really needed like a, a Rocky Four type of an off season where it obviously <laughs> wasn't – it's not crazy, but it's just getting back to the, the stuff that I used to do early on in my career, the thoughts and the, and, and the, and the commitment to, to certain things uh, in my game that, that are really going to benefit me. You know, Tucker Barnhart joins us. I think most of us, much like what you just described, go through this. I mean, we have you know, a, a lengthy level of, um, for lack of a better description, a, a mind blanking. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what happens. You get mind, you get mind blanked. And it seems like you're out there and you're trying to do yourself the best service possible. You're looking and, and, and trying to find uh, and under every rock, every nook and cranny, and what you end up doing is yourself a complete disservice. Correct. Correct. It's counterproductive in a way. And like I said, I mean, you, you, you feel like you're spinning your tire. So it, it would be stupid not to tinker and try different things. And at the end of the day, you kind of lose what you've done well for the, for however long of time that you've been having success. And that's for me, it was instead of, instead of just going back to, the keys and things and principles that I've done for my, basically my whole life. Like I think not to get too far into the weeds, but like we've sw- like, I've swung a bat a certain way for basically my whole life. And I changed to go and try and fix something and makes it, it makes it just complicates things over and over again. and just gets into the weeds. And, and uh, like I said, though, I'm excited to put all that behind me and get back into a new opportunity and, and go play well. Do you have a moment of uh revitalization in the off season where you go, Hey, no you know what? This is me. No I want to get back into this. No doubt. I it just, I took a little bit of extra time, I guess, kind of in it before I started to, to lift and hit and do all the, those things. Not, not because I didn't want to do it. It more just like making sure I was doing it the way that I wanted to and the way that, that I needed to. Um, and then getting back and when you kind of see things happen for me specifically with my swing that I've been searching for for the last year plus, 
and see it happen over and over again and be like, man, that looks like me in 17 when I had my best year in the big leagues. It's like, okay, like I, now we're in a good spot. And it just, like I said, I've been spinning my tires for a little while, but getting back to what I do well is, is, uh, is going to help me a lot. So what do you have, like George Costanza come down from the box to try to teach you how to hit? <laughs> is that what's going on? Trying to teach you how to swing the bat again? I mean, you name it. You name it. There, anybody and everybody. Oh, man. Is that, is that something that happens wherever? I mean, do people offer up advice to you? Or do they, they hang away from that? I, I guess people around here wouldn't, but do you get that more times than not? I would say in the, in like in the, in the baseball setting, like at the, at the stadium or at the complex, it's, it, things are talked about a lot. And I mean, if right. you're not steadfast in, in, in your thinking or you're not confident in what you're doing, it can, it can get off the rails. And I'm not the only guy that, I, that I've seen that it's happened to. I've seen it happen a ton. Um, but you know, you live and you learn. And like, like I said, I, I'm just I'm in a such a better headspace now um, than than I than I have been in quite some time. That that I'm really looking forward to just going out, being myself, and and just enjoying um, the the back half of my career. So it's it's going to be awesome. So you're going to hang out with Suarez, huh? Is he pretty cool to hang out with? Yeah, he's the best. I'm looking forward, looking forward to seeing him. Uh, it's been a, it's been a little while. I saw him playing against him, obviously, last couple of years. But to be his teammate again is going to be uh, going to be cool. We've texted a bunch, and I'm looking forward to it. So Tucker Barnhart with us. Here's what you need to do: skip Slaughter and Great White in Albuquerque, get to Phoenix, and go to that waste management open thing. You get completely crap hammered there. I did that. Sunday last year um, and then followed it up by walking back to my condo and watching the Super Bowl and I think my liver still hates me from doing that so I'm gonna I'm <laughs> glad that I'm missing out on that man oh man well I've missed you a great deal um, and I, I know that you you kind of detached yourself from uh, from social platforms and I don't blame you one bit I think we all kind of need to cleanse ourselves at some point in time I don't think there's any any doubt about that but you know that you still have a lot of friends and a lot of fans here that will always support you no matter what. And I know everybody where I am here at the fan will always back you up. And we always love hearing from you. So, man, stay in touch. Go out there and be you as best as you can. Enjoy that blank. And then uh, stay in touch with us and hang out. I appreciate it. It's been too long. Uh, looking forward to uh to seeing you soon and um, I'm gonna go kick some ass and we'll come back in the fall hopefully I got a ring and then we'll we'll get some beers and I'll hopefully make some uh, football picks this fall then uh not to mention you get bring uh, your your old friend back here out there maybe for a weekend set or something like that in the summertime maybe a you week, are always set, welcome something you just like gotta that. say the word you just gotta say the word yeah. well uh, I'll turn my liver loose out there in the <laughs> Phoenix metropolitan area <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Drive safely. Will do. You guys are the best. I'll talk to you soon. Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. 
broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Meekum experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Meekum.com.